Hello and welcome to the Anchor Faith Message Podcast. Enjoy this message. So with that being said, turn over to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. And um, we're going to be talking about, we're going to be taking communion later today. And so um, if you're born again, you're in the household of God, you can, it doesn't matter whether you're a vision partner with Anchor Faith Church or not, you can take communion with us. If you're not born again, get born again today so you can take communion with us, all right? If you're born again and you're in sin, you need to repent so that you'll take communion uh, the right way and you won't bring judgment to yourself, all right? Uh, first, uh, Colo- I mean, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 to 14 says, For this reason also since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthen with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul prayed this, a similar prayer like this to all of the churches that he established. His desire is that they would grow in their spiritual wisdom that they would get insight of God. That is my greatest prayer. My greatest prayer is why, and I understand why Paul did this, because we don't have a problem with people coming to Anchor Faith Church. I mean, God doesn't actually have a problem with people showing up to his church at all. God doesn't have a problem with people hearing what he's saying. The issue is, is people do not commit to what they hear and then let it govern their lives. The problem is, is they won't allow their thinking to move out of the way and embrace his thinking, his way of living. Because once you get real revelation and your spirit man is opened up to words of life, you'll be like Peter and say, where are we going to go, man? I mean, you have words of life. How can I even function in this world unless I know what you're saying? And I can always tell whether someone's brought a little bit of their old man over into the new man because they think their thoughts are better. (laughs) They bring a little bit of that, well, I'm going to do it my way still, right? Because when we were lost, separated from God, we were only doing it our way and realizing it wasn't getting us anywhere. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end lies It's death because your words, your actions separated from God is death. His words are life. His words are life. And so we see here that there's this redemption that has taken place that's pulled us from one domain into another domain, from one kingdom into another kingdom. See, the Bible's about a king, his kingdom, and his royal offspring. It's always been about this. It's never not been about this. And so the forgiveness of sin, the redemption, was to restore you back into the place that the original man, his name was Adam, was placed in in the beginning 
We know this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Although a lot of times when we go to churches, uh, or in general, we don't go back to the book of beginnings. We tend to start in chapter 3 where the fall was. Uh, but there was a, a way Adam lived prior to the fall, and that was a man full of dominion. For it says, let us, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion. That's rule, rulership. So again, we are to dominate. We are. That's why we. Uh, that's why the New Testament church has these phrases associated with them. They are more than a conqueror. They are. Tri they triumph in Christ Jesus. They are victorious. Right. They are overcomers. Why? Because we have dominion. It's what Adam had originally. Now, what is that dominion over each other? No, over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over all the cattle, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and over all the earth. So man had an assignment. He was to have dominion over God's work here. He was to manage it, govern it as God does in heaven. This is why Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, our Father, not his Father, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on as it is in heaven. So again, the rule or influence of God's kingdom can manifest here on the earth through the believer when they step into the position that the first Adam lost. If you read the Luke account of the temptations of Jesus, when Satan took him to a high pinnacle, because most of the time people just read the Matthew account, but if you read the Luke account, you'll see he takes him to a high place, shows him all the domains or uh, kingdoms, one translation says, in a moment of time. Didn't show him religions, showed him governments. All these kingdoms, he said, I'll give to you for they've been what? Handed over to me. So they were handed over to him where? In the garden. By whom? Adam. So Adam didn't fall from heaven. He fell from dominion. Adam didn't have to go to heaven because heaven came to earth all the time. Okay? So Adam wasn't living for heaven. Adam was in dominion and having heaven on earth. Okay, and so God's realm and the earth realm, heaven and earth were always in unison as long as man did what God said. But we understand God placed man in the garden, says to him, he said, you can eat of any tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for the day you eat, you will surely. Die. What's going to happen? Die. Why are you going to die? Because he said, don't do it. So if you do it, you're disobeying his word. His words are? Life. So when you don't do his word, you get death. That's why it seems simple. But Joshua said, I set before you and life and death. Choose. You shouldn't have to give me that answer. Shouldn't have to. But we need to know that answer. Because a lot of times God will say something and will choose not to do it. There are many things in the Word of God that believers, first of all, the basic thing that a brand new believer knows is to desire the sincere milk of the Word that they may grow by it. So the very basic thing believers should be doing, I mean, I'm talking infant, like just got in the kingdom, should read the Bible. And you and I know through experience here at Anchor Faith Church, for 17 years, we challenge all, everyone in the body to pick up a Bible reading plan that takes you through the Bible from cover to cover every year. We've been doing it for 17 years. 
but many have never read the entire book even once. Even once. Haven't done it. I know of pastors who preach all the time and are not reading the Bible for themselves. Not requiring their leaders to read the Bible. Yet we're supposed to represent Jesus. How can you represent him and you're not even spending any time with him? You don't even know what he says. I mean, you can't be in prayer asking to hear his voice when his voice sounds like his word. Another voice will show up and you won't be able to distinguish between. And most of the time that voice is the voice of your flesh. Because even though you may be born again, it doesn't mean your flesh still isn't talking. Right? And you hear it. Some of y'all heard it this morning when it says, uh, I know you got an extra hour, but this feels good. Just stay in because it's cold. <laughs> and you had to put that thought down and get out of bed anyway. Crucify that flesh. Come on, who did that this morning? Yeah, that's what I thought. More than one. Isn't that amazing? The flesh will talk and say, just stay in the bed. You worked hard all week long. Why? Because the flesh don't want you to get under the word. Doesn't want you to get around life because the flesh wants to please itself. All right? But we know the devil can't talk to you. Demons can talk to you. There's all, you know, other people can talk to you and give you their opinion about it based upon their experience. But if you don't know the word and you're not in the word, you do not know the word if you're not in the word. Let me just say it that way. Okay? You do not know the word. Now, let me just say it this way. You don't know it by revelation so that you can live by it. You can know something by information, but it doesn't affect your life. I have a lot of trivia in my mind. You know, it's trivia, it's information, but it doesn't change my everyday life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? All right? I'm not worse today because Florida got blown out last night at all. I have information. They lost. But I'm victorious because they don't even know I'm alive. They didn't die for me. They don't care about me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? They don't, mind. They don't care whether I was cheering for them or not, which I wasn't because I didn't watch them. I'm not watching losing. I don't have time for that. I just want to be victorious. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. There's a difference between stumbling and losing. <clears throat> I mean, you may fall down, fumble a ball, have, but losing, no, we don't have time for that. The Lord does not have time for losing. We're going to be victorious. Hallelujah. But there's redemption. We moved into this transfer of domains because we received the forgiveness of sin. So when Adam eats the fruit, he falls from dominion. He hands rulership over to the devil, and it requires God to send Jesus. And through the forgiveness of sins, it allows us entrance into another kingdom. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad your sins have been forgiven? I said, aren't you glad your sins have been forgiven? But I want to talk a little about the forgiveness of sins. Because I don't think sometimes in this dispensation do we understand it. I heard a minister not too uh, long ago at a particular conference I went to reference this. And it came back up in my spirit when I was studying this morning. I said, I'll go there and show that as well. 
Because it's very important that we recognize the forgiveness of sin. Let's look at a couple other passages of Scripture before we get to it. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, the Amplified says this, In him we have redemption, that is our deliverance and salvation through his blood, which paid the penalty for our sins and resulted in the forgiveness and complete pardon of our sins in accordance with the riches of his grace. So this word forgiveness here, in both of these passages of scripture have to do with a pardon. So the first thing, how many, well, I won't do that. <clears throat> Some in this room have been in jail. Okay, which means then you were incarcerated. You were found guilty of something and it cost you your freedom and liberty to move about as you want. There was a penalty associated with it that caused you to become confined yes. for a time. Now, can we identify with this? I'm talking about it. Some can really identify. Others, not so much. But you understand what I'm talking about there. See, when we commit sin, we don't think that we are being confined. See, and here's the thing. Let me just put it, break it down this way. Everybody in this room should have went to jail at some point. For something. Maybe not some kids. I'll let that one go. Ah, uh, maybe not. Because some of you, you were hating on your brother and you were wishing they were dead and there's a penalty for murder. But the others, some of y'all, you should have been in jail for excessive speeding because you went way over the speed limit and if they'd have caught you, you could have gone to jail for how fast you were going. Some of you should have been in jail because you were drinking while you were driving, you know, back in the day, and you just didn't get caught. Some of you shoplift at a dare. Some of you were doing illegal drugs. That if by all, some of you were looking at child pornography. Things that get people thrown in jail. But you were not caught. But all of it actually has a penalty associated with it. All of it does. Those who actually did commit some kind of crime and were incarcerated by it, they know what it looks like to be told when to get up, to be told when to eat, to be told when to go. To be told everything. To be confined in a small space for a certain amount of time. Not be able to see family when they wanted to, talk to them when they wanted to, help out in situations when they wanted to. And it required that the penalty be paid. Not all guilty uh, sentences can be paid in cash. Some have to be paid in time. Because I can guarantee you, there's probably not a person in jail today that if money could buy their way out, they'd want to pay. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But some have to pay it with a thing called time. You've been sentenced for three years. But if you have good behavior on the inside, 
If you'll do right on the inside, if you begin to show that your lifestyle can be different on the inside, then in good behavior, we can reduce your sentence. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So money can't buy them out, but their good behavior can begin to redeem, start paying some of their time back while they're on the inside. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So we see here that sin is a penalty. So if you're a teenager, you're a young uh, student here, young child, every time you disobey your parents, you should go to prison as far as the kingdom's concerned. Because disobedience to your parents is enough to get you eternally separated from God and thrown into the lake of fire, which is the eternal prison system of the kingdom. And unless there's payment, I said unless there's payment. See, nobody's getting away with anything. This is what the great deception is, is that we think we're getting away with something. We're not. Because the judge in heaven... I said, the king in heaven, he's taking an account of everything. You know, people, I've had people come to me and say, don't micromanage me. I said, God is the greatest micromanager ever. (laughs) He's writing it all down. I said, he's writing it all down. And there's not one penalty, not one, that will go without being dealt with. There's only two ways to deal with it. One is it gets paid for. The second is it you pay for it for eternity. It's going to get paid one way or the other. And the thing is you actually can't pay for it in time. Because at the end of the day, if you die in your sin, there's an eternal payment. Which means you'll never be able to pay it back forever. You'll be in torment and did not have to. I said and did not have to. So in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, when Adam eats the fruit, by all rights, he disobeys God. So sin is simply disobeying God. That is a penalty. In essence, he committed treason against the kingdom of God. He went against the king's decree. The father in heaven decrees to the son, do not eat this fruit. If you do, you die. Now, we know death does not mean cease to breathe. Like we think about it down here, right? We're like, oh, they died because they ceased to breathe. No, they left their skin suit, but they're still alive somewhere. Here's the thing, and let me just help out believers here. When we talk about people, you know, you need to get eternal life. You need eternal life. You need to understand everyone has eternity. We say eternal life, but we're not actually thinking of what we're saying when we say life because we're thinking eternal life is heaven and being with God. And though that is true, but it's really eternal life because everyone else gets eternal death. And everyone else, anyone who's not born again now is eternal. And their spirit man is already marked. That's why Jesus said, I didn't come to judge the world. If you don't believe me, you've already judged yourself. I'm going to give you exactly what you want without me. And that's death. It's separation. 
So when someone gets born again, in essence, they get a better quality of life now because they have access to the life of God, but then they'll have life with God eternal. But everyone's eternal now. There's not a person on the planet that's not eternal. They're living eternity now. Some are just living separated from God. Their spirit man is dead, separated from God. Or there are those like us that are born again. Our spirit man is alive unto God. Hallelujah. I'm glad I'm alive unto God. So Adam, when he ate the fruit, his spirit man died. It became separated from God. And that's why when God came down to the garden and said, Adam, where are you? Remember, he hid himself. Because God came down in the cool of the day. He had eaten the fruit. All of a sudden recognized he was naked, him and his wife. They went and covered themselves with fig leaves. And then they heard God show up. His presence moved in and they got behind trees. And the Lord said, where are you? Now, it's not that God wasn't good at hide and go seek. <clears throat> we know that means he's saying, what position are you in now? And you know, that's the same question he's asking humanity today. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? So obviously we know there's an exchange that takes place. Adam comes to him and basically blames God. He said, well, it's your fault. You gave me this woman. And she ate the fruit and gave it to me, and I ate it. So he goes to the woman and says, what have you done? She tells the truth. She said, I was deceived. The serpent told me that, it, you know, something about it, and I believed it and ate it. Notice sin didn't enter the world when she ate. He goes to the serpent and says, I'm going to bring my seed through the woman, and he's going to crush your head, and you'll bruise his heel. In essence, I'm going to get back the dominion that you just took from the first Adam because I said man would have dominion so I it requires a man to come and pay the price because here's the thing this is what's crazy is that we know Jesus died for us we know that the Bible says his blood had to be shed but yet we treat forgiveness as if it's something flippant Because God the Father came down, looks at his son, says, who told you you were naked? Did you eat the fruit I told you not to? I mean, if your clothes were good enough to cover up your nakedness, then why is he having to kill an animal? Because blood's got to get applied. And why didn't he come down and just say, son, I forgive you, it's all right. I mean, we use this term around each other like it's, I forgive you. Don't worry about it. For me to even say it means I have to recognize blood's being poured somewhere. We have such a disassociation between blood and forgiveness. Because if forgiveness at a word was enough, then why didn't the father do it? If all I had to do was by a word say, I forgive you, and that would have been enough, then why didn't the Father do it? 
It's because we don't keep the image that through other covenants they had that we don't have that we need to get. Number one, if we'll get it, then we probably won't find ourselves sinning as often. Because I'm not going to tell you you won't blow it and make a mistake because you will. And the Bible tells us that we can and we do at times. I'm just saying you can rise to a place of maturity in your walk with God that sinning is something so far and few between that happens in your life that when it happens, you immediately know, my gosh, that wasn't right. I know that. This is so foreign to me. I don't, I don't even live like this anymore. My spirit man's alive unto God. It doesn't want to sin. It doesn't want to disobey God. But with many believers today, they sin as common as they did, as really everyone else, but say, well, you know, you know, it's not anything I can do anyway. You know, well, you, you know, you got to forgive me. And not even thinking about the cost. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says this. In fact, under the law, almost everything, Amplified says this, is cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Neither release from sin and its guilt or cancellation of the merited punishment. So if it's not for the blood, no forgiveness can happen. Boy, it got quiet. I don't know why it got so quiet. I mean, if blood doesn't show up, forgiveness doesn't happen. So when Jesus, the, when the father comes and says to the serpent, I'm going to bring my seed through the woman, he's saying, I'm going to bring the ultimate sacrifice because I want to forgive humanity. I want forgiveness to be made available for all that are of the human spirit to get back into the position and the place that I originally designed them to be my children that rule and reign with me. You understand, we're all going to rule and reign because he's the king of? Not the king of Christians. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of? Are you hearing what I'm saying? So he wants us back in our rulership to govern the affairs of all of his creation. That's what he wants. Amen. And in order to do that, someone's going to have to stand in the gap. Yeah. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So if you don't recognize when you say, I forgive you, that blood's somewhere. Yeah. Blood's somewhere. Now, let's look at this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. The Passion Translation to verse 19 says it this way. For you know that your lives were ransomed once and for all from the empty and futile way of life handed down from generation to generation. It was not a ransom payment of silver and gold, which eventually perishes, but the precious blood of Christ, who, like a spotless and unblemished lamb, was sacrificed for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There is a purpose for the blood of Jesus because it is to get us somewhere. The Lord wants us back in a position that only the blood applied can do. 
Only the blood can do. Your good works can't do it. Your silver and gold can't do it. Can't do it. Your way of living God and wanting God to accept your way of living for him is not going to do it. Can't do it. Only the blood. Come on, look at your name and say only the blood. Only the blood can do this. So our lives are ransomed. You have to recognize you, all of you, were convicts, prisoners. And by all rights, all of you were slaves under a tyrannical king that bound you in a system of disobedience that you ran to, did, it hurt you, it was no good for you, it left you constantly empty. And there's only one thing destined for your life. I mean, ultimately, uh, your eternity, and it is the lake of fire. The prison system where all those who will not acknowledge Jesus as Lord goes. It's where they go. And no one could even have an opportunity to come out unless somebody paid the price. I mean, why are believers so, so easily sinning? Take no regard to living holy and try to live righteous. It's because we have no view of the blood. Because again, what do we hear? And it is truth in this context. It is a free gift. But just because someone gives you a gift for free doesn't mean it didn't cost them something. And when you recognize how much it costs somebody, I mean, you understand, when you see the cost it was for God, it should cause you to recognize the value of the gift you just got. But most of us can't see value because we just see free. Now, how do I know this? Watch what happens on uh, Christmas morning. Parents, you're going to be running around trying to find something for your kids, wrap it all up, give it to them. They're going to play that day. Seriously, go into their rooms right now. Go try to find last year's Christmas presents. Are they still holding me like, oh, I'm so excited. I have this. I have this. Or is that video game you got last year, they don't even play it anymore. And they don't even want that game system. They want the upgrade. And they don't care how much it costs you. Oh, you don't. Because it didn't cost them. And again, I'm not asking them to sacrifice. I'm not asking them to pay for it, but I am asking them to value. To have some value. I mean, there'd, no, there'd be no problem with worshiping the king of glory during our, our praise time when we understand value of the blood. Be no problem to get up and come to church, which is the body of Christ where he's the head of when you value the blood. Be no issue to be able to forgive your brother when you value the blood, when you realize that payment. So let's get some imagery. 
And I thank God that the old covenant, see, most people, again, they want to discredit the old covenant, the old testament. We live in the new, I know we live in the new testament, and I know we're in a new and better covenant, and thank God for that. But he gave us the writings so that it would give us imagery in this new covenant we're in, because what literally happened in the old covenant happened somewhere, and it's still being applied in another, in another way. Leviticus chapter 4. This is the law of the sin offerings. The law of the sin offerings. And I want us to see the different types of people who had to deal with the sin offering. Okay? I'm not going to read the whole chapter in its entirety, but I'm going to read excerpts from it. And there'll be like two or three verses at a time. I'm going to take them in those chunks. Okay? So the first section is going to be Leviticus chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. It says it this way. If the anointed priest sins so as to bring guilt on the people then he is to offer to the Lord a bull without defect as a sin offering for his sin which he has committed he shall bring the bull to the doorway of the tent of meetings before the Lord and he shall lay his hands on the head of the bull and slaughter the bull before the Lord now notice if the priest Sins. He has to bring a bull. He has to put his hands on the bull. He's got to look into that bull's eyes. He's got to see that bull breathe. He's got to see the life in that bull leave that bull when he cuts its throat, takes its life in exchange for his, and watch it bleed out. He's got to get his hands on it. All right, let's go on. 13. Now, if the entire congregation of Israel does wrong unintentionally and the matter escapes notice of the assembly and they commit anything which the Lord has commanded not to be done and they become guilty, that ain't even mean to. But they're still guilty. All right. When the sin which they have committed becomes known, then the assembly shall offer a bull of the herds of an, uh, as a sin offering and bring it in front of the tent of meeting. Then the elders of the congregation shall what? Lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord and the bull shall be slaughtered before the Lord. So now the elders of the congregation, all those that are over the tribe, they're all going to have to get their hands on the bull. They're going to put their hands on his head. They're going to watch his lungs fill up and go back out. He's, here he's just coming in out of the field. And because of what they did, he's going to have to die. And he's going to die with them touching him. And they're going to cut his throat. And the blood's going to come out. And they're going to watch the life Leave the bull. Twenty-two. When a leader to twenty-four sins unintentionally, does um, sins and unintentionally does any of the things which the Lord his God has commanded not to be done, and he becomes guilty if his sin which he committed is made known to him, he shall bring. As his offering a goat, a male without defect, and he shall what? 
lay his hands on the head of the male goat and slaughter it in the place where they slaughter the burnt offerings before the Lord. It is a sin offering. So if a leader now has got to bring a goat, these are without blemish, puts the hand on the goat's head, looks into his eyes. See it breathe. Feel the warmth of its, you know, head and cuts its throat, watches the blood run all down it until it falls over. And he kills it because he sinned. Wasn't the goat's fault. Wasn't the bull's fault. But God can't even be with a nation unless somebody takes the sin. I mean, think about it. We're like, God, we, and we say it all the time. God can do whatever he wants to do. Then why can't God just say, I forgive you. Sure, let's don't kill all these bulls now. You don't think he loves bulls? You don't think he loves goats? You don't think he loves lambs? He created them. But because man fell from dominion, something's paying the price for all the sin in the earth and for him to be able to try to connect with humanity, sin's got to get out of the way. Somebody's got to pay the price because guilt, 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 guilt is on the planet. It's on the planet. And God's like, we're go I can't even... Man, I want to introduce myself to humanity. I want to use this nation right here, but I can't bear. Somebody's going to be a substitute. Let's go on. Verse 27 says, If any of the common people sins unintentionally by doing the things which the Lord has commanded not to be done and becomes guilty, if his sin has been committed, is made known to him, then he shall bring an offering, a goat, a female without defect, for which, uh, for his sin which he has committed, and he shall what? Lay his hands on the head, and the sin offering, and the uh, of the sin offering, and the slaughter, and slaughter the sin offering at the place of the burnt offering. Notice these are the ones that are having to actually do the cutting. Now I'm not a hunter myself personally. Um, you know I go fishing. I do, I do that. I don't you know go hunting. I'm not saying that I wouldn't in necessity. Um, you know, I'm not saying that I wouldn't take an animal's life. I'm not going to say that. Uh, but I tend to not. Um, I, you know, and honestly, I just struggle, just to be honest with you. We had some rats <laughs> one time. Uh, got stuck in a shed of ours, man, and it was bad. It was uh, absolute infestation. It was horrible. And so my one dog was like champion dog, man. He, like, killed a lot of rats that day. It was amazing. And didn't get rabies. He was awesome. He lived multiple years later, 17. He was an amazing dog. It's like, I mean, I, I can imagine him, you know, if all dogs go to heaven. Um, it's probably running around the perimeter. <laughs> you know, not a demon in hell can even come back in, man. He'll keep that out, bro. I mean, he's bad to the bone. He was awesome. Anyway, um, you know, we found some baby. I made my son go kill him. <clears throat> I just, it struggled. I struggled. So I thought, man, I'd be a horrible priest, man. It'd be horrible. This would be, this would be like a horrible deal for me, right? I mean, especially you're like, I mean, I, seriously, you know, now I know some of y'all, your animals, you're like, you, you know, you want to help them out. You take them out somewhere. I'm just going to leave it at that because there may be some people who start freaking out right now. I couldn't do that. I mean, it's like, I, man, 
And you understand, these are animals they were with all the... Here's the thing. The ones that are without blemish, that means they had to go through their flock, find that one. And they keep it separate. Feed it, tend to it. Know all the while that whenever I... If I blow it ever. I mean, how do you like to take your pet, feed it every day, and then like... I take you to church today. And if, you know, it could talk like the cartoons, why are you taking me to church today? We going to go worship the Lord? Yep. Yes, we are. Oh, I love to worship the Lord. Right? Yeah. Some of y'all got pets, just go home and put your hand on their head. And then think about it. This type of imagery in a covenant that the Spirit of God cannot live within you was designed to be able to help them not want to sin because they saw the price. I'm thankful that the Word of God described the crucifixion of Jesus. I'm thankful for the Passion of Christ movie. It's the closest thing we've could even has even seen most of the ones before have been so tame and lame that you're like well that don't look that bad but even what the passion of Christ portrayed Christ being beaten still pales in comparison because it says you couldn't even recognize he was a man what does that even look like and he did that for you See, what we don't understand is that if we don't make a transfer, there's a problem with our hands. Look what it says in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1 through 3. It says, Behold, the Lord's hands, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that he cannot hear, but you, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken falsehood. Your tongue mutters wickedness. They weren't even sacrificing to the Lord anymore. They weren't even doing anything. They were running after idolatry. And all the while, sin and the price necessary, the blood is all over their own hands. They're guilty, 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 guilty. And every time that we sin, although we can still be in relationship, because they never were out of covenant with God as a nation. 
But they were separated from God in him being able to fulfill his word. He said, now, if you'll do my word, these blessings, these things will overtake you. They'll happen. But if you don't, then all this other calamity is going to happen. And it's not that I'm not in covenant with you. It's just that your sin has separated us. And how many times we heard believers, I feel like I can't hear God, and he seems so far away from me. It seems like he's so, uh, like, you know, he's not. Where is he at? Well, check your hands. Have we been living a life so common with sin and flesh that we've forgotten that there was a lamb that was slain once and for all? Can you just at least get the imagery of this? That the next time you see the cross and you see a crown of thorns placed on a man's head, that you could see your hands on his head. That the next time you choose to want to go and indulge that flesh and live that life of sin, you just, you, you're putting your hands on the head of Jesus. I mean, you're like, because that's what it costs for you to be clean. Well, you know what? He saved me once and for all. Yes, he has. No doubt about it. But why you keep trying to come up here and put your hand on his head? Because every action requires something. Look what it says in James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. He says, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Jesus Christ is the lamb that was without spot or blemish. By all rights, all of humanity then that day put their hands on his head and we killed him. We're the ones who crucified him. What did he do? What did he do? But he was the one sent from the father that said this, I'll stand in the gap, I'll be the substitute. Let all of sin come on me. Let it come on me. And when you come to an altar and say, Father, please forgive me, then that action was every time you had to place your hand. And he had to become your substitute. See, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2 says it this way. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Man, isn't that good news? I said, isn't that good news? The law of sin and death uh, has, you, you've been redeemed from that. Which means you don't have to sin anymore. You've been made a new creature in Christ. That you don't have to be walking around waiting for the next time you got to put your hand on Jesus. Now, the blood's there. The blood's flowing. Don't get me wrong. But I don't want to be living in such a way that I'm like, man, there, here goes my hand again. Jesus had to take this too. And we know he's taken all sin. But I don't want to, I don't want to be giving him sin 15 years in the future. I ain't even done yet. 
since he's given me the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, that if I would renew my mind and begin to walk like I should as a believer and begin to recognize when those words, I forgive you, came. Because when he says, I forgive, I forgive is because it's debt forgiveness. I mean, it's one thing for me to look at Ricky down here and say, hey, man, I forgive you. But that's not the forgiveness Jesus is. This is if Ricky owed me $50 billion. And I said, I forgive you of the debt. But here's the thing. The debt still has to be paid. So in essence, I've already given you $50 billion. I got another $50 billion that I'm going to apply to your account. And now it's forgiven. Not because I just said it's forgiven. It's because a payment actually was made and settled it. And paid it in full. Not like this junk we got in our own United States where you can like bargain your debt down. Jesus didn't go to the enemy and say, let me bargain it. You know, I'll give you pennies on the dollar. He had to pay it in full. In full. In full. In full. In full. So how could we? Look at this. There's a warning for us when we do not maintain this thought process of the precious blood of Jesus. It's in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 to 29. I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation. It reads pretty good here. It says this. For if we continue to persist in deliberate sin after we have known and received the truth, there is not another sacrifice for sin to be made for us. But this would qualify one for the certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the raging fire ready to, be, uh, ready to burn up his enemies. Anyone who disobeys Moses' law died without mercy on the simple evidence of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you suppose a person deserves to be judged who has contempt for God's Son and who scorns the blood of the new covenant that made him holy and who mocks the Spirit who gives him grace? Now listen, this cannot be an unbeliever. Because first and foremost, an unbeliever cannot mock the spirit of grace unless they've received the spirit of grace. You cannot blaspheme the Holy Ghost unless you've had the Holy Ghost. Paul said, I was a blasphemer. But he obviously didn't have blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because he was in sin. He was a sinner. He didn't know but It was his nature to do so. But once he turned, that's a whole nother ball game. And so it says one who's received the truth. That's not like, oh, you sat in a service where you heard it and then you rejected it so you never actually got born again. No, these are people who accepted, received, walked in. I don't have time to go through uh, everything concerning that particular thought process, but I will tell you this. It is a terrible thing for a born-again believer who knows the price of their forgiveness is through the blood of Jesus to go around and keep sinning willfully. And the grace people preach that says it's covered are in error. Because the grace of God is so powerful, it will actually help you and keep you from sinning. Yes. 
It will do that. You do have an advocate with a father. What we are not advocating right now is that if you cuss somebody out the minute you leave and go into the parking lot, which you should not, but say you do, right? You have an outburst of anger. You do some sin that by all rights would separate you from God eternally if you never made Jesus the Lord of your life. That doesn't mean you lost your salvation. It's not that easy to lose. In fact, you can't lose it. You'd have to hear better. It's better translated this way. You have to give it away. Now, how do I can say that? Adam never sinned, had never sinned in his life. He was actually created with no sin. Sin wasn't even on the planet. But what did he do? He gave it away. And if Adam, who knew no sin, because he was created without sin, could bring sin in and be lost, separated from God, although you were once lost and now found, you could give yours. And it becomes easier to give when you forget about the blood. So again, we say forgiveness. We act like it's just a word. In God's vocabulary, forgiveness means the penalty has been paid in full, so forgiveness is there. It's not a word. It's not just a word. It's not just, I forgive you. It is, I looked at your account, and there was a massive debt, but the blood was applied. And now every penalty, every guilty charge, every penalty that you should eternally be uh, um, set apart from me for, there has been payment actually made. Blood is on your account. Blood is on your account. I have forgiven debt, but only in word here at Anchor Faith Church. I've had people come to Treasure Harbor Preschool and they've run up, you know, had issues and we're like, just let it go. But in one sense, I mean, honestly, I did pay it. I didn't actually cut an invoice from Anchor Faith Church over to Treasure Hour Preschool and say, here's the amount. I was already doing it because every time I paid the employee, every time I bought some other supply, every time I did that from the church, it was paying what that tuition would have paid for if they had made the payment. So the money still made it to the supply chain of whatever it needed to be covered from some element within the ministry. So it was paid for. It just didn't disappear. See, your sins don't disappear. It's because you put a hand on Jesus. You put a hand on Jesus. Let's take communion together. Whatever head bow and every eye closed, no one's looking around. I thank God for the blood. And Jesus Christ is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle, meaning the capacity for us to live holy, to live righteous, to always recognize, ooh, if I do that, that's going to require blood. That's going to require blood. Man, if I respond to my wife that way, that's going to require blood. That's going to require blood. See, many times we're going to our spouse or our, our siblings or our children or co-workers, and we're asking them after we've blown it, 
to forgive us before we even ask God to forgive us. And if you're asking someone to forgive you before you even ask God to forgive you, then no payment's made. Because forgiveness cannot happen without payment. So when you blow it, you first have to go to Jesus and say, I need blood up to my account. It doesn't mean you're not a child of God. It doesn't mean that, you know, God's cut you off. It just means that there's debt. And there's more than enough. That's why 1 John 1, 9 is not written to lost people. It's written to believers. Says, he says that if we confess our sins, he will cleanse us, right? If we, if we are unrighteous, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And 1 John was writing to the church. He was talking to brethren. He said, now listen, if you find yourself in a place that you've done something that God's not asked you to do, then you just go to him and ask because the blood's moving. I said, the blood's moving. The blood's on the mercy seat. And he wants to pay all the time because he loves you. He loves you. And what's really sad is that there's going to come a time in heaven and there's a whole group of people and there's a lot of them. Gosh, guys, there's a lot of them. They're going to show up and the Lord's going to open up a book called the Lamb's Book of Life and their name's not going to be in it. And he's going to open up another set of books that's going to have all their sins that are still there. And he's going to begin to read their charge. And before he sentences them, He's going to let them look at the blood that's in a storehouse that was for their account that they never pulled out. When the world thinks they're saving God money, well, I'm saving you. You know, I don't want you to have to put your blood towards me. They're going to realize he had more than enough blood to take care of everything they had done wrong. Because it just never got applied. And he'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. And they'll be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. Wow. And in his account is so much blood that could have paid that debt. And on that day, Jesus won't be able to say, I forgive you. Because he'll have to look at his debt register says never apply. Thanks again so much for listening to this episode. If you'd like to get more of our content, you can subscribe wherever you're listening, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc. You can also watch our weekend messages at youtube.com forward slash anchor faith when they air every Thursday night at 6 p.m. Subscribe to us so you never miss a message and leave us a comment or a like. It really does help. You sharing, rating, and commenting on this podcast and any of our content is the best way to keep it in circulation for others to be influenced with this message of God's kingdom. So please consider sending a link to friends and family, sharing on social media, or simply giving us a rating. And finally, if you'd like more information about Anchor Faith Church and support the work we're doing from St. Augustine, Florida in igniting the city, impacting the nation, and influencing the world, you can visit us at anchorfaith.com. Thank you.